Welcome, food enthusiasts, to another episode of the Future Foodcast. I'm Pam Linemiller, your host. We're so excited to have Carlos D. Valdenbro with us. He's the managing director of Caravella Coffee. Welcome to the podcast, Carlos. Pam, thank you very much for ha- having me here. And good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are. Yeah, people can watch and listen at any time they want to. So that's the exciting part. Why don't you tell us what you're doing right now with your company? Just give us a brief overview and we'll dig into some so, details later. So the story of our company comes to our name. Our name is Caravella, which is a caravel. Many people do not realize that a caravel were that very fast, very agile boats that Christopher Columbus took on his uh, discovery voyage to the Americas. So what we're doing in this case is trying to resemble that agility, but with coffee, with a focus on bringing the best coffees uh, from seven different countries from South America into the U.S. So what do we do in a, in a nutshell? We are a vertically integrated company. What does that mean? We export and we import coffee from seven countries in Latin America, but we are a very niche player. We want to bring the best coffee from the best farmers to the best consumers in North America. Yeah, you really have a a very focused mission and that's exciting, but you have offices in a lot of different countries too, not just where you source your coffee. Where do you have offices? So we're currently present in 11 different countries in the world. We have uh, export and farmer relationship offices in seven countries in South America. That would be Mexico, Salvador, Nicaragua, Guatemala, Peru, Colombia, and Ecuador. And we have customer relationship offices in the U.S. here in Houston, where I'm based out. We have an office in London. We have an office in Taipei, in Taiwan, and another office in Sydney. And with this network, we're moving coffee for about 40 different countries in the world. Yeah, that is that is really exciting. You really do have a worldwide footprint. And even though, like you, like you told me, I mean, 70% of your employees are hands-on with the coffee and the growers and and your your customer relationship offices make up a, a much smaller amount of uh, percentage of your employees. Most of them are really focused on your product and how you're producing that. So tell us what differentiates you from maybe the typical coffee we might buy in the grocery store. So, so let's start from how the coffee is sourced. Uh, many people do not realize that having Actually, a cup of coffee here in the U.S. in your grocery store is almost a miracle. What does this mean? The vast majority of coffee is produced by really, really smallholder farmers that do not have usually access to education, usually do not have access to finance, usually do not have access to the marketplace. So their coffee is usually bought by a big intermediary in any of these producing countries, which just blends everything. Just capture that idea. You produce the best coffee, but it's blended with the worst coffee out there. So you cannot get grasp of that. So we've actually gone further into the supply chain by having a presence. And as you mentioned, the vast majority of our employees working hand in hand with the farmers. So they don't have to sell to a coyote, which is the local word for that. They don't have to sell to just a company who's blending anything. That And every single cup, every single lot that they deliver is analyzed differently from even 10 kilos, which is, is tiny, tiny, tiny. And they are rewarded based on quality. So it's a very simple principle. The best the quality, the more money they get. They get it immediately. And they have the transparency and the traceability to know this lot is better than X, Y lot. And an an underlying part of this is that about 50% of our employees are actually educating and working hand in hand with these farmers, saying like, you need to do this. 
instead of doing that. That's why it's a miracle because there's so many hands involved in that pot before you get a cup of coffee. And farmers usually do not deliver the coffee that you or me buy in the grocery or in our cafe. They usually deliver either cherry, wet parchment or dry parchment, which is how coffee is traded in these countries before it's finally exported into the U.S. Okay. I didn't realize that there was the wet parchment, the dry parchment. You know, I'm an end user coffee consumer. I do buy beans and grind them myself, but that's that's as far as I go. And I didn't realize about the wet and the dry. Can you explain that just briefly for us? Absolutely. Our um, and Absolutely. keep in mind, um, some of our people that are listening are also viewing and some of them are not. So as you describe, if you're going to show us anything uh, Perfect. Think about the people that can't see what you're <laughs> what you're showing them. Uh, absolutely. So most people do not realize that coffee is actually a fruit. As a fruit, uh, what farmers do is that they plant a tree, of course. They eventually get that fruit, which is this beautiful red, huge cherry that you've seen in many pictures, and that is the first thing that they have access to. So that cherry has to be properly picked, and once it's picked, there is it's a process so it can be eventually turned into green coffee and pre-roasted coffee. What is this process about? So farmers, they have to uh, remove the skin, remove the flesh of the fruit, and they do that by a fermentation process. Usually, at least most of the farmers in South America, they ferment the coffee for 30, 40, 50 hours so that they can remove the skin and the flesh okay. of the fruit. And then you get something kind of like this. For the viewers, I'm showing it's a replica. This is not the actual size. It's a pretty massive uh, bean. But you get uh, what's called a dry parchment, which is a seed covered by a skin, but actually have a fairly thick skin that is already dried. So this can be delivered or processed by a farmer into dry parchment, which is around 10, 11% moisture, or wet parchment, which is dripping water, and it's like 50%. Okay. Going into a little bit more detail, like in Nicaragua, we have the largest raised bed facility in the world in which we get hundreds of farmers deliver wet parchment, dripping, and we dry it. It takes about a month and it's like super labor intensive, but you protect the seed, therefore you protect the end product. Once that parchment is dried, it goes into like a gigantic factory in which it is sorted you remove that skin by friction, kind of like what do you do in your house by grinding the coffee? So it's not grinding it, but through friction, you're taking off that skin mm -hmm. and you get something at the end that's called green coffee. So green coffee, and for the ones who are seeing me, is kind of like this. This is, of course, another replica, gigantic, but uh, it's coffee that has been taken out all that skin, all that silver skin, all that parchment. Then it is sorted by grade, by color, we, there's a lot of defects, uh, coffee that is not good enough for human consumption. And at the end, you had a beautiful green bean. That's what's exported out of the seven countries and brought by us into the North American market, this example. And eventually, a uh, roaster, usually a roaster that shares this, that ethos of good quality, rewarding good value, rewarding a better product and making an impact origin, will roast it with its own profile and its own recipe and you get the roasted coffee that you buy either in a grocery store or in your coffee shop so most people do not remember that this was this and this and this before yeah the different the different 
and original beans and the, and the fruit that comes off and, and how that's processed and changed. And I think what I, what I'm really hearing is that Caravella has a uh, hands on with the farmers and they provide beans for you. And you're spending a lot of time helping with upping the quality of that bean to meet what your standards are for your customers. That's absolutely right, Pam. And uh, we kind of joke about that the only person can make the coffee really, really good or really, really, really bad at source is the farmer. That's the first point of contact between the tree, the cherry, and let's say humanity. It is the farmer. So if the farmer does their job the best they can, we'll have a and product that's fantastic. So what we're trying to do is influence and control first the process that the farmer is doing. Second, provide them financial and educational access so that they can invest in better infrastructure, better processes. And finally, get a product that meets the highest quality standards so you can bring the best coffee out there. And, and, and something that we cannot lose focus of, Pam, is that people talk about farms, people talk about coffee trees, but at the end of the day, coffee is not produced by plants, it's actually produced by human beings because there's so many hands touching that product. And, and that's the important part. I mean, I, I hear the mission of your company. You're, you're empowering some farmers in, in those seven countries that maybe normally wouldn't have the opportunity that you're giving them with the education and how to produce a higher quality product and also get paid for that. So Correct. that's not always happening, you know, with some of the other coffee companies that are out there. Uh, they're just sourcing coffee from farmers. That's absolutely right. And this goes a lot into consumer trends that have have been happening probably in the last five years. We've been doing this for 21 years, always with this focus on quality and rewarding the hard work and making sure it's a transparent supply chain. But many consumers have started hearing that concept like, where is your coffee coming from? Where is your food coming from? The whole farm to table concept is fairly new, despite us being doing it for over 20 years. And it's about making sure that when you're buying coffee and where you're drinking that coffee, you know where it's coming from. You know that as a better product is better rewarded to the farmer and making sure that this is actually a virtuous cycle instead of just a a vicious cycle where farmer, you're not rewarding that effort. And what we've seen after 20 years of doing this in some very, very remote and actually tough locations is that this is, you're breaking that poverty cycle and you're actually empowering farmers to grow and become actually companies of of their own. This happens both in the US and in developing nations. Most people do not want to be a farmer. That's, That's a fact. People want to go to the big city and do a big city job. And that's been happening for the last 20 years worldwide. What we're actually seeing is that once a farmer sees that, hey, I can make really good money if I produce a really good product, they're actually buying land. Their kids are not dreaming about going to the city. They want to go to the city to get educated, but they want to go back to the farm because they see this is a valuable enterprise and I can make a very good living as long as I produce a really good specialty product. Yeah. And that is a really great mission. I mean, using your boat analogy, you're not only, we'll talk about supply chain in a minute, but you're you're kind of helping those farmers raise their level of 
um, existence and their their ability to actually have a business and and own their land and maybe buy some more land and and just create something that they're they can pass on to future generations and you're enabling that well there's also you you are on the cutting edge if you've been doing this over 21 years really it's been more in in recent years that we as um, consumers are talking about caring about how companies are approaching things or taking care of our food supply or the farmers or the land that we're working on. But you've also got a really specific certification that is not had by a lot of companies. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, yes. Uh, thank you, for, Pam, for bringing it up. So we are a B Corps company. Most people do not know what B Corps are. So B Corps are companies that do not only want to provide value for their shareholders, but also want to provide value and have a meaningful impact in the different uh, stakeholders that they touch. It goes from employees up to suppliers, up to the environment. It's a holistic approach of doing business. We're not for profit because we are for profit. It's like in you, it's not profit at any expense. It's like we can make profit by making a better world for our kids and our grandkids. So B Corp is certification that's been around for uh, over 10 years. Some very big companies here in the US, like Ben & Jerry's is a famous one, Patagonia is a famous one. And uh, these are companies that want to have that impact while generating profit. So we've been certified for many years and we've actually been very proud and very honored to be the highest scoring co coffee company for the last five years. And we've also won the award of best for the world in this whole world of companies, and there are thousands of companies because of the impact you are doing. Again, environment, su suppliers, workers, is trying to create a better world out there. And you can make that while you generate a profit. Well, and that's that's a really good model for other companies that are looking to do similar things. You've, you've laid the groundwork and set the model up there that it can be accomplished and how you've done that. So I know other possibly smaller companies might be looking to you to be a bit of a mentor in that area, which I know Perfect. that you would love to do. Uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And uh, this, this movement is just growing everywhere. Uh, some people might have read that about a month or two months ago, Nespresso, the pods owned by Nestle, just became a B Corp company. And Ely Coffee, which is also a very famous coffee company, just became a B Corp company. Maybe a few years later than what we, we would have all expected, but the movement is positive. The more companies and the more people are aware of how you can make an impact at origin, the world's going to be better, especially under the current times. Yes, I really agree. Well, let's shift over to you are an import export company. I mean, you are you are partnering with your farmers, but you're also importing to or exporting that product to over 40 countries, I think you said. And Correct. supply chain is a big topic in the news right now. So can you share with us what your challenges have been and, and any successes you've had to try to overcome some of that or maybe because of the way you're set up, you haven't had some of the challenges. What What is your supply chain landscape looking like right now? So so it's a very complicated topic. And uh, I think the silver lining here is that people are talking about supply chain. I've been doing this for over a decade and I had never heard my parents talk about supply chain. What is that word? And uh, unless you went into really 
like specific newsletters or specific magazines. That was like a topic for people who worked at warehouses and no one cared about it. So the first thing that I went to highlight is that we are finally talking about supply chain. What is a supply chain for our listeners? It's the process by which a product or a good is moved from A to B, to put it very, very simple. What we do in our case in coffee is export coffee from seven countries and bring it into about 40 different destinations. And it's a nightmare. It's been a nightmare probably since COVID. We, we ha- we've had two big challenges. Uh, first, there was a massive demand crunch when COVID hit. So the availability of, let's say, shipping boats to move coffee or any product from A to B just dwindled within weeks. That was the first impact. And then, which we're now seeing is as the world opened back up again and demand for any product, cars, electronics, and coffee went up, then there's an over-demand. There's a shock in in, in demand for, for these products and services. Therefore, the boats and the shipping companies are, of course, limited. There's a limited capacity and you cannot build a new a new uh, shipping company or build containers like this. Yeah, then. No. It, does, it starts becoming very, very complicated. So the first step that we're seeing that's been challenging for the last year, year and a half, is availability of containers and spaces in shipping boats. Yeah. Secondly, once you finally get the, co- the coffee or that container onto a boat and it reaches, let's say, uh, a port here in the US, you have the second challenge is like there's hundreds of thousands of containers getting and they don't have the labor capacity, the manpower and the infrastructure to process those containers through the inbound um, supply chain as fast as usual. Just to give you another example, Pam, once a container came here, on average, it took about 10 days, 12 days to get it processed. Process is like customs cleared, imported, so it could eventually become available. And now we're seeing about 20 to 30 days, which is creating not only challenges for us, but it's also creating inflationary pressures for any product and any good. Because now you have to sit on that inventory for two more weeks, pay storage fees, and that also already increasing the price of everything. And then finally, it's in, there's not enough trucks and uh, land freights have, of course, or inland freights, both for trains and trucks have gone to the roof. It was yesterday or two days ago in the news that there are rumors of a rail strike in the U.S., which will just add more pressure to the supply chain. How have we overcome it? <laughs> That's I don't even a know we, question. <laughs> I don't even know if we have overcome it, to be very honest. I think we've been creative and uh, with some of our roasters trying to find solutions in sometimes you move things by train but one week it works the next we need to move it through truck if you ship to the port of oakland and it's congested then you move to la if la is congested you move to houston it's just trying to diversify our risk it's key try to plan as far into the future as possible is key so you can secure spaces but it's been a juggling game for the last year and a half and uh, that's probably something that when we talk about supply chains that's something that maybe we're not paying enough attention that's creating a lot of inflationary pressures in the market 
Yeah, not I, you are not alone, obviously, in all of that. But it sounds like you're just trying to be as proactive as possible because you know what some of the challenges are going to be. So, like you said, having Plan A, Plan B, Plan C, different methods, you know, different ports to come into, trains, trucks, just trying to figure out what the best combination might be at any given time. So, I think you know we're we're all hoping that that eases. Uh, We're also hoping we don't have a rail strike here in the United States that will affect a lot of different things. So working to you know, have that be a positive. Uh, thanks for sharing about the supply chain because you're you're all in, that's what you do as a company every single day. Yeah, every single day. So I appreciate your insight into what is happening with that. Let's talk about coffee a little bit again. What do you coffee. see? I, coffee is a universal. I, I would say universal. There's there's everybody. I won't say everybody drinks coffee, but it's available everywhere. And what do you see coming in the the coffee world? What are the what are the consumers wanting? What kind of trends are happening? So starting with your statement, I hope everyone does drink coffee, and if they <laughs> haven't, they should. And drinking good coffee makes a difference in your life. I, I always tell once you start tasting the good coffee, and you realize, hey, maybe I don't need milk, maybe I don't need sugar. It starts to become a pleasure. It's not just an energy kick, but it's like something you enjoy. So as with any food that you eat or drink, choosing wisely makes a big difference in either you're going to like it or not. Thankfully, as you said, coffee is uh, a product that most people do tend to enjoy and most people do tend to drink. So there are a few things that we're seeing. Number one is more focus on traceability and on quality. Coffee is a product that you're actually drinking many times a week. And people are now more interested in knowing where is this coffee coming from? Was it sourced in an ethical way? Or are we exploiting children developing nation? That's a question that we're seeing more and more and more. Uh, we're also seeing more interest in organic coffees, uh, not as a replacement of, let's say, ethical source coffees, but as, as a complement to like, hey, a coffee can be organic and can be ethically sourced. More awareness, especially for uh, in the younger generation about flavor profiles, like, wait, this is a coffee you should like, and more knowledge about, hey, I get notes of berries or chocolate or hazelnut or fruit. Wow. That is something that I remember my parents would never tell me, but even my parents who now can drink specialty coffee are like, hey, I don't know how to describe this, but this is so much better than when I used to do drink a few years back. And that's always a good starting point. Um, demand remains strong. The forecast is that the U.S. coffee consumption will continue growing into the future if not closer to the uh, low teens, very close to that level. Uh, so that's always positive. And under the current market scenarios, coffee has proven itself, probably for the last 50 years, to be a fairly inelastic product, which means once you start drinking coffee, it, especially good coffee, you usually do not opt out of it once there's a financial crisis. We saw that in the last two crises in the US that actually most coffee companies grew because it also becomes a replacement of a luxurious experience. Maybe when you were you were in a good place financially, you, you took your special person to a very fine dining experience. Now things might not be very great, but you say, let's go to let's have a great coffee. And you go to a beautiful place, you grab a snack, you have a pastry and a great coffee, and that's your now your new date. So yeah. 
it's always present in people's life and we hope people continue drinking it uh, into the future. Well, thanks for that insight. I know that once you taste, because I have spent more money on coffee at times and I have some nice coffee in my cabinet right now, I'm going to be seeking out Colorado coffee, that's for yes. sure. Uh, because I I do appreciate, I, I don't add as much to my coffee, no, no sugar anymore and very little cream. And I uh, really am looking forward to enjoying that just pure coffee taste. So maybe you will get me to the no cream. I will. I will. I will. We're going to have to do that. I will. You won't find us in the supermarket because we're a wholesaler, but definitely you might find uh, many roasters that will partner with us in in the supermarket. And usually, and just to put it kind of very bluntly, the higher the price, usually the higher the quality. It's usually very straightforward for better or worse. So when you start seeing in the supermarket, higher prices, you start seeing, oh, more details. This is not just coffee. You start seeing a lot of, where is this source? What are the attributes? Because that's when you start seeing that, hey, you're rewarding and you're also identifying the human beings producing this coffee. Yes. And that's exactly what you highlighted today about the holistic approach that your company takes to what we think of as just a commodity of coffee. Really, you've put a lot more behind that. And I'm just so thankful you were on our podcast today to Mm -hmm. share that with us and and let us know about the unique methods that you uh, undertake to help the farmers and in your whole process with importing and exporting. Is there anything else you would like to share with us before we go today, Carlos? So, so Pan, I mean, first and foremost, thank you for having us here. Having that interest in where food is coming from is the next step. We're seeing more and more interest throughout any product. Many of our customers don't only do coffee, but other agricultural products. So that's something that is encouraging. And uh, last but not least, try good coffee. Try it without milk. Try it without sugar. Might, the first week might be difficult, but the second week you start saying, hey, I don't need this sugar intake. And uh, I don't know if you saw that the World Health Organization said that the only three drinks that are good for you are water, tea, and coffee. So let's make sure we all drink more coffee. There we go. And with that, thank you for being on our podcast here thank at the you, Future Pam. Foodcast, Carlos. Thank you, Pam. Have a good day, everyone. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 